Perhaps it was the best, or it is the best known verse of Scripture in all the Bible. Perhaps close second would probably be Psalm 23 and a few others. But I can remember as a small chap, I learned John 3.16 in public school. In those days, it was not a crime to use the Bible in the school, and it has never left me. It has been translated into all kinds of languages. You can never hear Billy Graham preach, but that you will hear John 3.16. Whether he stood before kings or princes or presidents, he would repeat again and again the wonderful words of John 3.16. And I remember when I was taking evangelism in college, they told the story of Dawson Trotman, and you might not know who Trotman is, some of you might. He's a founder of, of the Navigators, and he was uh, not a believer at the time when this took place. Uh, his, his daughter had married a Christian, and um, uh, Dawson Trotman was not too keen on that, and uh, they had their first child. And um, when he was teaching when they were teaching the child to, to say John 3.16, she began by saying, For God so loved the world, he gave his only forgotten son. <laughs> forgotten. Not true. But for her, she heard that, and she responded that way. D.L. Moody was affected by this verse as well as many other leaders in the Christian calendar, our family. One day when Moody was in England, he met a, a young man by the name of Henry Morehouse. And Moody said to him, uh, you know, I'd like to hear you preach sometime. When you come to, when you come to uh, the States, visit my church in Chicago, and I'll let you preach. Now, I must tell you, and please do not judge every minister by this, Moody didn't mean it. He just said it. Well, lo and behold, one day he got a telegram. In New York, we'll be in Chicago next week, would like to speak in your church. <laughs> Moody said, what am I going to do? I better keep my word. While he was preaching, Moody had to be away. So he preached the Sunday that Moody was not going to be there. And he preached for the entire week. So when, he came, when Mr. Moody came back and went to his wife and said, well, how, the, how did the young man do? <laughs> she said, he's a better preacher than you. <laughs> Nothing like the honesty of a wife. <laughs> what did he speak on? He spoke on John 3.16. What else did he speak on? He spoke on John 3.16. You mean that's all he spoke on for the whole week? Yeah, and he's telling sinners that God loves them. Moody said, no, no, God doesn't love sinners. Sinners are condemned by God. That's what the Bible says. Well, said his wife, why don't you go and hear him? <laughs> so he went. In those days, you could have a service Monday night as well. And Mr. Morehouse got up to speak and he said, 
I have been searching for the entire week on the text on which to preach, but I cannot get away from John 3.16. And Moody said this, as I listened to this young man speak, I have never been so moved by understanding what the love of God is all about. And from that time on, John 3.16 also became a favorite of D.L. Moody. It was before, but it took on new meaning. What are we to gain from this text this morning? Why am I choosing it? I'm choosing it for two reasons. One, it's Communion Sunday, and you know at Communion Sunday, we, we usually go to the text looking for that which leads to the communion service. Secondly, is because this verse has in a nutshell the whole gospel. And we have been dealing with the theme of being born again. And although the, 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 the term born again is not used in this text, it is all over the text. And so for the next few minutes before we come to the table, I want to break down this wonderful verse and share some thoughts with you that I trust will open your eyes to newness and freshness to this text we all know by heart and that it will not only be known by heart but will lodge in our hearts. Jesus is speaking. He was speaking to Nicodemus from the beginning of this chapter. And he gave that wonderful illustration about the serpent and the rod. And John is recording the ongoing conversation that Nicodemus had with Christ. Nicodemus is somewhat convicted by this time because he's hearing things about being born again that were new to him. And even his own Jewish religion did not expose him to that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, all these have God in a place where no human being could ever get close to understanding anything about God. God was at some distance. Uh, you recall when the Ten Commandments were given that the people said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us. God is too awesome and we don't want to have to listen to that awesome voice and to hear the thunder and the lightning. And so Moses said, don't be afraid. For God has come that his fear might be in you and that his fear in you will keep you from sinning. That's how Nicodemus felt. And all of a sudden, as it were, from from out in left field, as we would say, Jesus exposed Nicodemus to the first idea of getting close to God. And listen to what he says. For God. For God. What comes to your mind when you hear that word, God? Ravi Zacharias was speaking in the Soviet Union some years ago. And one of the Russian generals came to him afterwards and said to him, you've been speaking about God, God, God. Who is this God? Who is God? 
the first thing this little phrase gives to us is this, that God exists. God exists. We, we, we are not talking about someone that, is, that has been invented. Listen, listen to this thought. More consequences for life and action follows from the affirmation or the denial of God than from any other basic question. See, if God does not exist, nothing else does. Nothing else does. Theologians and philosophers have said that God is the, is the imagination of human beings who need someone to think about that's greater than themselves. I'm going to tell you, if human beings were creating God, they wouldn't create the God of the Bible. They would create a God that they could control. A God, as a survey was taken in Britain some years ago, uh, um, do you believe in God? Yes, but not the God of the Bible. <laughs> this is the kind of God. What do we know about this God? This God is sovereign. By, by, by sovereign, I mean that God does not exist because something else makes him exist. You and I do. God does not exist by permission of angels or seraphim or any other creature in heaven or on earth. To say that God exists, when, when the child asks, who created God? Have you ever thought of that statement? If someone created God, then someone is greater than God. God is, if you please, remember in college they used to say this, God is the only uncaused cause. When we talk about created things, we're not talking about God because God is not created. He exists by his own permission, his own existence. And that blows the mind. Uh, by the way, that is awesome. Not the other stuff. God is self-existing. While all created things necessarily originate somewhere or at some times, when you speak of God, you're speaking of self-existence. And Jesus brings to us, to Nicodemus, the existence of God who is sovereign. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, listen to this. Acts 17, 24 and 25. The God who made the worlds and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Here's the verse. Neither is he served by human hands. Now that word serve, if you have the King James translation, it says, neither is he worshipped. What is meant by that is that God is not sustained. God is not in heaven needing anything, Psalm 50. He exists by his own existence. He doesn't depend upon any creature around him. He gives life to everything, says the text. If I worship God, I must worship a God 
who doesn't need me, but I need him. I cannot worship a God that I make because anything I make will have my stamp on it. And so what we need is the revelation from heaven for someone to tell us what God is like. We believe that God exists, but what kind of a God is behind the curtains that's drawn between earth and heaven? Are we able to grasp something of his, what he's like? That leads me to my second point right away. Not only is God sovereign, God is not silent. God is not silent. Acts 14, 17 says that God did not leave himself without a witness or evidence in this world. What do I mean by God is not silent? Three brief thoughts. God's existence is known by God's creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens speak, creation speaks of of a creator. It is absolutely ludicrous for us to think that what we have came from nothing. Someone, Someone asked Aristotle, how would you define nothing? And Aristotle said, nothing is what rocks dream about. It's impossible, my friends, for us to look at the world and say it just happened in spite of all the theories that that are espoused. God is not silent. He's speaking. It says the sun goes to every nation upon the face of the earth and it speaks of someone putting it in its place. Secondly, God's existence is proven by my existence. God's existence is proven by my existence. Listen to what the text says. Because in him we live and move and have our existence. If God was not, we would not. He gives life and breath to all. So my existence tells me that someone else exists. By the way, books have been written about those things. Thirdly, his existence is known by the incarnation. No man has seen God at any time. John 1.14 The only begotten of the Father who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. Creation, my existence, will tell me what God can do. But Jesus tells me what God is like. The heavens tell me about the power of God. My existence tells me about my dependence upon God. But when Jesus Christ came, he says, this is what God is like. So what is God like? Secondly, so loved. This is how God exposed himself to us. The love of God, says Sidlow Baxter, is to men the high pinnacle of biblical revelation. Everything else is climbing up to this. I want you to see something 
two brief thoughts about the love of God. Look at that little word, so, S-O. It is sometimes used in different ways. But the word so here is giving to us something that is beyond the ability to fully grasp. You cannot get your hands around the soul, the love of God. Nothing has ever been able to equate itself with that love. Not phileo. Not eros. Not storge. Those are Greek words that are used, that's used for love. When we say that God so loved the world, the, the closest we come to understand what that word so is what John Newton puts in his song. Amazing. Amazing. That's why we were singing that song this morning. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me. <laughs> Isn't it true, friends, that sometimes I don't even love me? <laughs> but God, soul, He's talking about the greatness, not, not, not magnitude simply, but dignity, nature, character, the kind of love it is. Oh, it's a word like what someone would say, there is, there is a, there's a tempest in a teapot. So is that word, so. Paul calls it, it's a great love in Ephesians chapter 2. There is infinite Greatness, longness, height, depth, it, to the uttermost capacity. Imagine that that which defines God in heaven is revealed to us through Jesus Christ. He is telling us, this is what my father is like. Isn't it interesting? God is almost always castigated by people in the Old Testament. I don't like that God. I like the God of the New Testament. And, and by the way, if someone ever says that to you, have them read Re Revelation. You see, what Paul wants us to understand, my friends, what Paul wants us to understand is this. If you understand what the nature of sin is and what sin involves, you will understand something of how great the love of God to love sinners. It's such a casual thing for us. How much that love contains no tongue or wisdom of man can reach. Nothing expresses the love of God better than what the love of God does. Words can never prove love, says James Stewart. God could not do it by words. Once and again, he said, come let us reason. All through the Old Testament, he was saying that, but even the divinest reasoning could not prove love. Once again, he made the prophets and herald the voice of men, but even the words of the Lord burning and flaming on their lips could not prove love. Then he sent Jesus. 
preaching the Sermon on the Mount, heightening the ethical ideals all along the line, challenging men in tones that they have never heard before to trust God's love for everything. But even that could not prove the love of God. You know what proved the love of God? The cross. The cross. The works of love proves the existence of love. Look at the beneficiaries of his love. The bounty of his love is what kind of a love it is. Look at the beneficiaries. God so loved the world. I always think of Paul when I think of that. Sometimes in his prayer he will pray, how beautiful Oregon is. And what a privilege it is to live in Oregon. Never been to Northern Ontario. <laughs> That's not what the Bible is talking about, friends. It's not talking about location. When it says that God so loved the world, it is not talking about geography. When it says that God loves the world, he's talking about people. You remember the, 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 uh, the um, Coca-Cola's... Um, little ditty back in 60s, 70s, we are the world. Who are the world? People, the children. That is precisely what we have here. God so loved the world, but the people of the world, this is the genius of the love of God. Listen, listen to what it says about the people of the world. The Bible says this. When we were helpless, Romans 5, 6, was read to us this morning. To be helpless means to have no capacity to lift ourselves from the condition we were in. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke 19, 10. I am come to seek and to save the lost. The lost. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were yet sinners, sinners. John Wesley was preaching on the love of God and so on. And, and then he got to the place where he talked about sinners and he was run out of church. That's for the minors. That's not for us. You need to, you need to talk to people who are down and out, not like me. And we're reminded that Jesus was telling this to Nicodemus, a man who was not down and out, but up and out. Ephesians chapter 2, listen to the, to the condition of the world. Who were all the children of wrath. God so loved, helpless, sinning, wrathful, these are the people. Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, my dear friends, if, if you and I were going to invite uh, someone to our home for dinner, for lunch, for supper, would you go to Walmart and buy the food? And when you're driving out and coming to that stop before you make the left-hand turn, 
Would you go to that guy sitting there and invite him to your home? That's what Jesus did. He left heaven's glory. And he came to lost, sinning people. That's the love of, that's the genius of the love of God. Look at the TV screens, friends. And, and, and look at what's happening in Iraq right now. Iraqi people with Iraqi people. Look at some of the things that are happening even during the World Cup. We're not even told of them. You got to see it at 11 o'clock when you watch the news. People, people who are suffering. But it is to that kind of people. Not only people who are suffering, but people who cause suffering. That's the kind of people that God showed his love to. So thirdly, for God, his existence, soul of the world, his exposure, that he gave his son an exit. An exit. Because the purpose for giving his son is so that we may not perish. What is the, 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 when the, the verb to give means to surrender, to surrender. It means to give up willingly. Look to whom it is given. Whoever. Whoever. You know, that word frightens me. <laughs> Every time I think of that, I was, remember driving my daughter when she was in grade school, driving her to school, and I had the radio on with the news. And uh, some man had just molested a little girl in the schoolyard not too far from where Heather was going to school. And she listened to the, to the news with me. <laughs> and she said, Daddy, if someone ever hurt me, what would you do? Preach to them? I said, yes, when I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel, friends. But I want you to understand something. Think of what this world has done to God. On the 4th of July, America will be celebrating its 238th birthday. And 238 years later, America is farther away from God, who blessed it for 238 years, and we're trying to get rid of him. God so loved. That word frightens me, whoever. <laughs> because there are some people I wouldn't like to see. Pardoned says Max Lucado. He gave, but it's for sinners, not for righteous people. Let me quickly close with this story by Charles Colson, told by um, Max Lucado in his book, In the Grip of Grace. He said, 20 years previously, when the book was written, Charles Colson went to Brazil, and he went to one of the prisons there. And... Um, the plan was to run a Christian principal class in this prison, with the exception of two full-time staff 
All the works, is, all the works there is done by inmates. Families outside the prison adopt an inmate to work with during after and after their term. Colson visited this prison, and then he said, As I was visiting, I found the inmates smiling. Particularly, <laughs> I remember I, I, I have reasons to go to, to prisons to visit <laughs> at times. And the worst thing when you go to a prison is to hear those doors closing behind you. I, I mean, it just, and I remember the first time I heard that, wow. I thought, and, and I have this crazy notion. I go to banks and institutions, and my wife will tell you, the first thing I look for is to see where the exits are. I want to know if anything happens, I want to know where to go. It drives my wife crazy. <laughs> but when you go into a, a prison, there is no place to go once that door closes. And I'm telling you that to tell you this. When I visited the prison, I found the inmates smiling, particularly the murderer who held the keys, opened the gates to let me in. Wherever I walked, I saw men at peace. I saw clean living areas, people working industriously. The walls were decorated with biblical sayings and psalms and proverbs. My guide escorted me to the notorious prison cell once used for torture. Today, he told me, that block houses only, only one single uh, inmate is in that, that, the block houses, wherever these block houses are. As we reached the end of the long corridor, he put his hand into the key, and then as he was turning, he paused and he said, are you sure you want to go into this room? Colson said, of course. I've been in isolation cells all over the world. Slowly, he swung open the massive door. And I saw the prisoner in that punishment cell. A crucifix. With Christ on the cross. And the prisoner said, he's doing time for us. He is doing time for us. For us, God so loved the world that Christ did time for us. That's, that's the exit. Why? Because, friends, I say this, and I, I, as I was doing this, I said, God, please don't let me just be a, a book man and a pen and paper man. Because this is what the text says in that, that grand verse that talks about the love of God. says, if you believe, you will not perish, but if you don't, you will. Wow. What does it mean to perish? It means to be separated from God. It means to experience with that, what Jesus said with that rich man who died and went to Hades. He said, I am in torment here. My friends, I would love to believe that there is no hell. I would love to believe that there's no punishment. I would love to believe that, that somehow at the last moment or after death, but the Bible doesn't say that and I can't say it. I can only say what the Bible says. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have 
everlasting life. Listen to verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world because the world was already condemned, but that the world through him might be saved. Message from heaven that the God behind the clouds is a God of love, but a God of justice. And the love of God was nowhere demonstrated as openly as when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken on the cross that we might not be forsaken by God. Let us pray. Think for a moment, dear friends. Just think for a moment what you have heard. Remember that Jesus Christ came into the world to seek and to save sinners. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, if you have never trusted Christ as Savior, right where you are this morning, you can say like that man in, in the Gospel of Luke, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, for Jesus' sake. That can be the beginning of what it means to be born again. Boy or girl, man or woman, rich or poor, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen.